everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Roots Podcast. As always, I am Curtis Myers with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the found director and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. All right, a uh, quick little intro for us today. Uh, we'll be hopping on with uh, Eric Henry, who's always down to pinch hit for us in, in guest situations when we need somebody at the last second. Um, but we do have a couple of quick news items, not a whole lot to say yet, but uh, as of recording, Rice has officially started fall practice. Uh, camp camp has begun uh, as we... we uh, accelerate towards the beginning of the season yeah i i breathe like i pinched myself a little bit because you're always like we i feel like we get to july 4th and we're like oh football is coming and then it's here and it's wonderful so i was happy that was there but uh i'm here to report that uh bradley rosner was on the field debraylon carroll was on the field treshawn chamberlain treshawn devones george nyakwal i i can just keep going down the list of players that have not played for rice and a year plus that are here on the field practicing. So uh, that's uh, been hope fun. Springs so, eternal. Hey, you know what? Yeah, it's, it's, it's August. I'm allowed to have hope. <laughs> I don't get crushed till mid September. That's the general rule, but uh, yeah. So we'll have a lot more there as always. This is uh, if you've been holding out on Patreon, here's your chance. Uh, Patreon.com slash at the roost. You should go subscribe. And we, when you do, you will get access to all our preseason previews. I've gotten a post up, uh, you know, a pretty lengthy thousand plus words on every position group Rice has had. I dropped quarterbacks this week. So we're going to talk Rice quarterback battles uh, until the end of time. Does that sound right, Carter? Like, probably. Maybe on this podcast yeah, again. I, I just resigned myself to, you know. It's never 10,000 years of this. So that's that's 10,000 years. That, yeah, that that feels about right. So, yeah, we got previews on there and we'll have every update uh, from fall camp. We got three, I think, three scrimmages planned. Uh, a starting quarterback revealed at some point a lot of interesting position battles because you have all those guys coming back uh, and starters who are still here. So it's going to be fun to watch. All right, and we are here now with a uh, friend of the pod and frequent guest, Eric Henry, to talk all things uh, CUSA in this last season of its uh, current iteration. How you doing, man? I am doing all right, fellas. It is another beautiful night here in South Florida, a little steamy, something that I'm sure you guys know about being there in the great state of Texas, but can't complain. You know, the countdown till kickoff is on, so I'm, uh, I'm fired up, ready to talk a little CUSA football. Well, we're glad to have you in here. We were chatting yesterday i maybe it's the uh the mlb all-star or not all-star but trade deadline we're bringing you in in the uh ninth inning uh throwing heat so we're expecting some some fire takes and some some good conversation tonight about all things conference usa let's do it like i told you i'm, I'm coming out ready to throw gas throwing 100 <laughs> all right first things first uh, we haven't talked yet uh we took last week off for media days and we haven't talked at all on this podcast about the media's projected order of finish for conference USA. And I find this interesting for me because they send you the form and you fill it out every year and then you find the results and you realize that you're just completely like out in left field on somebody <laughs> that you didn't think you were going to be. So who was the, the team for you that when you were kind of putting together your, your ballot for the preseason, that you got the the final order back and you were just like, huh, that's odd. 
can I be honest with you guys? Um, I don't think that really applied for me because it pretty much fell. The only thing, <clears throat> sorry, the only thing that I think I, I had changed is I have uh, UTEP. Okay, well, I have UTEP above North Texas. I have UTEP, I had UTEP five, North Texas six, and I had middle seven, and then Charlotte eight. But outside of that, everything was kind of wow. fell in place. I, I think, I, and you know, I'll give it back to you guys on, on this, but I feel like it's got to be unanimous that UTSA and UAB are the top two teams. And then from there, maybe I'm higher than most on Willie Taggart, but I think FAU at three or four is nice, is, is a good spot. And, you know, so uh, I, I don't particularly have an issue there. I'm a big fan of Jarrett Dagey. How often are you going to get a quarterback who's thrown for over 11,000 yards and 80 touchdowns in his career? And of course, he's been around a while. So I guess you'll rack up the numbers, but still someone who can fit that system and play really well. And then I'm really high on UTEP's defense. We're going to see what happens, you know, in terms of replacing Justin Garrett and Jacob Cowing. But, you know, Gavin Harrison's got to take that next step. But the run game is there. The defense is there. Uh, and then everything else, I think, is just kind of falls into place. So, yeah, man, uh, I didn't really have one that really wowed me. That's really interesting. So, and, and I guess I put the cart before the horse. I, I will, for, for those listening, projected order of finish as voted on by the, the CUSA media, uh, UTSA in first, UAB second, and then going down the list, Western Kentucky, Florida Atlantic, North Texas, and UTEP, the top six, and then seven, Charlotte, Middle Tennessee, Louisiana Tech, Rice, and FIU. So that was kind of the order. I will, uh, I'll tell you, the team that I was, I guess, farthest apart on that kind of surprised me, uh, I was much higher on Middle Tennessee. Uh, them finishing down at, at eight above, I guess the, there's no East and West division anymore, right? That, that just kind of happened. But uh, finishing up above nobody <laughs> other than FIU in the, in the Old East kind of surprised me with uh, the talent that they have coming back. And I'm a big believer in Chase Cunningham at quarterback. And for me, if you have a good quarterback, I have to put you in the top half of the conference because I don't know how many good quarterbacks there are going to be. Well, I mean, A, it's good to know that you're high on Malik Cunningham at quarterback. Sorry, folks, a little inside <laughs> joke there. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, it, it, uh, so I'll say this. I, I do agree with you that middle does have some returners coming back. But with that being said, you lose Greg Great, you lose Reed Blankenship. That hurts. A big loss to me was Dorian Hinton on the right side of that offensive line who, you know, takes a trip down to Boca. He returns back to his home state. He's at Florida Atlantic. He's going to slide right in there and be a starter on that offensive line. And then while, yes, they did lose veteran receivers, guys like C.J. Wyndham, Jaron Pierce. You know, they've got Yusuf Ali. We talked to Jalen Lane there, who's an up-and-comer. He's returning. But the big thing for me, Matt, and I've mentioned this to Rick Stockstill. I mentioned on Media Days. I mentioned to him we had him on our podcast. And I've asked him this question, I think, the past two or three Media Days. Because it's been an issue for the past five years now, they have not been able to generate rushing yards from the running back position. I, I know you look at it and say, hey, you got Chase Cunningham who can move. You go back in the Asher O'Hara days, he certainly was, you know, picking up yards from the, the the quarterback position, rushing yards from the quarterback position. But for your listeners who may not understand how bleak it is, they haven't had a rusher run for over 587 yards. I think it's the number off the top of my head because I've said it so many times. 
They haven't had a rusher rush for more than 587 yards in six years. Itavis Mathers in 2016 was the last rusher from a running back position who eclipsed that. They've had years, guys, where they've been in the 200s and 300s as far as leading rusher from the running back position. So I just think there's only so long you can ride that and expect to, you know, really manufacture success, especially, again, third offense in three different years. We'll see what happens, but it's just hard for me to fully buy in on middle given some of those uh, those things. I would be with you if they hadn't gone to the CUSA championship game without a running game in recent history. But the, it, well, so, okay. Two things. Two things. One, if memory serves me correct, I believe the year they did that was twenty eighteen. The reason yeah. I. Yeah, the reason I know that is because FIU had a chance to clinch at home against Marshall, clinch the East, and they lost. Um, and I think that's what sent Middle. Yeah, because Middle beat FIU. Brent Stocks actually got hurt. Asher Harris came in. Um, uh, yeah, that was it. But no, FIU beat Middle, but then the uh, win-loss record was sent them to the, to the title game. Anyhow, my point in, in trying to recall that is that wasn't exactly a great Middle team. I think they were 7-6. and six. <laughs> So so let's not sit here and act like, you know, they were 10-3 and three and went to the conference title game with that either. Marshall, with that win, I'm pretty sure Marshall went like, had eight wins or nine wins that year, but just lost to Middle as well. So take that. Yeah, it was a weird season. I'm not right? stumping yeah. for 2018 Middle Tennessee. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Hey, I was pushing back a little bit, but I got you. That's fair. Uh, so that was kind of, I thought that was interesting. Any other things that, I guess, stood out, not in the, the poll per se, but just from your conversations last week. And I guess it, we're not in Frisco anymore. This is a, you know, Wizard of Oz. We're, we're in Arlington because why not? that's where you hold events for sports media. Uh, we were in Arlington. What kind of takeaways did you have from Arlington? Either things that were new and kind of stood out to you or questions you felt like you got answered. What kind of were your your big nuggets you took away? A, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir, but I prefer Arlington over the uh, Sheraton in New Orleans. Uh, let's uh, state that for the record. Oh, some Belt fans want to uh, get on my case. A, B, um, in terms of the the you know your question there, this is this is what I think. What really stood out to me, A, and I don't know how you feel about this. I just every time I talk to Tyson Helton. I become more and more of a fan of his. I, I, I am a believer in in his philosophy as far as coaching. I think a guy who comes from a coaching family and can easily say, I grew up in this profession. I've been doing this, you know, groomless my entire life. I don't want to, you know, and he even said it when he came on our podcast. He's like, I, I take a lot of pride in being the guy who has the answer for things. But in terms of what's best for my football team, you got to be able to take a step back and understand you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. And he just reiterated that in a private conversation we had, you know, outside the uh, outside the conference room there in in, in Arlington. And I, I guess why that's a major takeaway is I just feel that the the future of that program, as long as Tyson Helton is in charge, is in really good shape because you're dealing with someone who, again, is willing to listen to outside voices and do things maybe not the way um, that you know he would have preferred to do so or would have done so in previous years. And then another thing. Pray again, this maybe it's just me as someone who's gonna get a chance to cover the West as often. Praise Amahule is a massive human being. Um, and <laughs> he just I saw him on that stage, I'm like, wow, praise is every bit because you, you know, you know how it on is. the stage, exactly, exactly. You know how it is when you cover group of five football and you see edge rushers, right? You know, who, who may translate to the next level, but 
they don't necessarily have that physically imposing size. He is a massive man. So I am really, really buying in in terms of UTEP, what he'll be able to do defensively with Breon Howard and Tyrus Knight. I, I think even if uh, Gavin Hardison doesn't take that next step as a passer and he's just adequate, he doesn't necessarily develop, even though Dana Dimmel did say that, you know, he has full autonomy in the offense to operate as he sees fit. Even if he doesn't take that next step, I think that defense is, is going to make a, a, a really huge progression. And then last thing for me, and I think you were in the room when this happened, Willie Taggart just looks really happy and relaxed. And that surprised me. You saw the way he ended the presser where he hugged um, Nikosi Perry and, and TJ Young and just was like, you know, how could you not be excited about this? If anyone who was close to the situation, you know, down here in South Florida, listen, I don't cover FAU, but – uh, you know, I'm still close to you know Boca Raton. I know people who, who are close to that program. It, it was iffy whether he was going to come back or not. And, you know, typically when you have a coach who has to overhaul a lot of his staff and bring in, you know, several new new assistants. That normally doesn't bode well. Normally, you know, that guy's kind of on the hot seat. And I'm not saying he isn't, but he just feels really, you know, at ease and was happy and, you know, ready to get back to football. I think they started camp that day. So uh, interested to see what's going on in Boca. But those are the kind of the big takeaways for me. Yeah, that's interesting, especially with, see, I don't, I don't know Willie. I, I think I've talked to him. I'm, well, he wasn't there when we did our last in-person media days in 2019. So I think I've talked to him over the internet <laughs> like two or three times, but I don't know. But I couldn't tell if it was how cheesy that was, but that man was, he was, him and Will Healy were probably the two that appeared happiest to be there. I don't think he was close. Yeah, and see, the thing is with Healy, and I'm not saying it's not genuine with Willie, because I do think it is. But with Healy, that's kind of on brand, right? That's the same dude who's right. club shirt off, you know. <laughs> but with, with Willie, I think because— His shirt of, was on for the press it, conference. We will his, clarify. He did, <laughs> he did not go shirtless. Um, although, you know, I, I will say um, our own Emily Van Buskirk, at least uh, Underdog Dynasty's own Emily Van Buskirk, uh, discovered that Will Healy's wife may have been a card girl for Joey Chestnut in a previous life and started a little controversy there. I digress. Um, no, Willie Taggart, it, it's not necessarily on brand for that, him. That story has layers. <laughs> this is what happens when you close the day at CUSA Media Days. They yes. started out buttoned yes. up with yeah. Western Kentucky yes. and they devolved. Yes, yes. It, it was a much different closing of Media Days than it was when you opened. Uh, I'll just quickly finish up that point on Taggart. I think because of his previous stops, he kind of gets this his reputation as being, I don't want to say surly, but a, a little more, you know, um, uh, closed off or terse with the media. So, yeah, uh, you know, I can understand why you were like, huh, you, you see that from Healy, but from Taggart it might have surprised you. So I, I get that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I think a couple of things that just kind of from my perspective, things that stood out to me that I thought were particularly interesting. I. I'm cautiously I'm not going to say optimistic because I think that's the right word. But I think with Coach Mack at FIU, when he was hired, there was and, – and you cover you cover the program. So there was just kind of a uh, – I don't know, just a huh? Like, okay, is this guy the fit? And after talking with him, I kind of felt like he actually might be the right man for the job in at FIU. I, I, am I far off on that? He, he kind of – he said the right things, but he, he said them in a way that didn't sound coachy. 
Uh, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to follow up on that, Matt, a little bit. I'm sorry for going into interview mode here. Could you elaborate a little bit on, on what exactly gave you that feeling? Because I'm just curious from other people. You know, I've heard it all so many times from Mac, you know, in, in, in what, six, seven months now. So I'm just curious as someone who has fresh ears. I, I asked, I asked him why, basically why FIU and then what specifically do you need to do to make FIU what you want it to be? And I feel like that in a because that's kind of like, you know, like they hand you the media playbook of what do you ask a new coach? It's right. kind of like, how are you going to make it different than the old guy? Right. That's the softball. And a lot of coaches will say, you know, we're going to work hard, build the culture and say all the things that actually mean nothing to like X, X's and O's of, of what you're going to do. But he said, you know, I've talked with the A.D., we're, we're going to fundraise. I've been doing a lot of fundraising. We need to meet with donors. We need to get more money. We need to get more investment. These are like tactical things that you can control that you need to do to build a better football program. And so he led with those X's. And that's important too. But as someone who like just coming in with the big picture view of, hey, this is this is the job. This is what we need to do. That kind of caught me off guard because that was a real answer of like, hey, at your FIU, yeah, you want to recruit five stars, but you're not going to get five stars. You're probably not going to get four stars. Like, what can you control? Investment. And that that's spoken like someone who was aware of how hard this job is. Okay. So I'm going to give you a two-part answer on that. I'm going to give you the off-field answer. I'm going to give you the on-field answer. So I'll start with the off-field because I think that's the part that stuck out to you the most. All those things are true, and the sense I've gotten from Mike McIntyre, A, is he's genuinely happy to be a head coach again. B, or maybe 1 and 1A, he's there's something unique about being a head coach at a program that genuinely has no expectations and you're building everything from scratch. And I would be curious, Matt, if that – if this would have been the same way he sounded, I've been trying to find old interviews when he took the San Jose State job, if he sounded similar. Because I think about it, right? San Jose State was not a good program when he took it over and a program that didn't have a lot of football success. He leads them to a 10-win season. You go to Colorado. Well, Colorado isn't exactly you know a, a powerhouse. And I believe at the time, I think they're still were in the Big 12. Um, and then led them to a Pac-12 title game. They at least had a history, right? So their expectations. I think when you get to FIU, I don't think I know when you get to FIU. Yeah, you have, you know, the hardcore fans who have been around since day one and they want to get back to, you know, they're, we're based in South Florida. We should be competing for CSA titles every year. But outside of that, everything here, it's a fresh palette. It's a fresh coat of paint. It's it's Pete Garcia is gone. So I think that helps a lot in the sense that everything is starting fresh. And, yeah, he has talked about the fact that getting out there and fundraising are, are things that. He, he genuinely enjoys. I asked him that when we stepped out of his session, I was like, Mac, you know, so when you take this job and it's something I hadn't asked him before, you know, going into it, that it's not just X's and O's and you seem to enjoy that. And he, his face lit up and said, yeah. Now in terms of on field, um, the t time will tell, to be honest, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that everything has been great. I think a lot of people look at some of the players they brought in and yes, they, they, in terms of recruiting, the fact that they've been able to to bring in uh, D.A.V. Hammond, who's one of the top uh, rated JUCO offensive lineman transfers, uh, 
I believe if my memory serves me correct, is like top three or four in terms of the 247 rankings in terms of overall signees and program history. Uh, she's high, highest rated. You know, that's that's a win. Uh, you get a lot of power five talent. And Matt, this has been a uh, they won't come out on the record and say this, but it's a philosophy of theirs that, hey, we may lose out on guys who go to power five schools out of high school. And then they're going to and I think I asked them this uh, in, during the session. They're going to go to Syracuse and realize it's seven degrees in January and want to come back home. And they thrilled to brought, bring back like five or six of those guys that worked. Now, now the flip side, and I've reported this. Forgive me for being skeptical, but when you offer a scholarship, and I'm still looking to get the clarification on what is the size of this scholarship, to a player, you know, Willie Reed from Central Michigan, and for listeners who may not know, Willie Reed in 2020 was an all-MAC first-team safety, and then mysteriously at Central Michigan, then mysteriously ends up not on the roster, you know, uh, in 2021. Those of us who cover G5 football know you don't just lose a player uh, like that. You don't just sit him out if you don't if you can't help it at that level. Just shooting straight with you, Matt. When it was announced that he had signed with FIU, I had multiple Conference USA player personnel guys in my DMs saying, "Hey, that dude has Title IX violations. How is what's going on there?" You fast forward three months later, and he's now in jail, you know, on on rape charges. Forgive me for not buying to the New Day theme when apparently FIU is the only one who didn't realize this. So, um, I st- and for the record, he did not get to Miami. He he never actually made it on campus. But, you know, you can go full speed ahead with all the positivity things. And then when you're dealing with all of the missteps of the past 10, 15 years of the Pete Garcia administration, when you have something like that, it is going to color your opinion. So, that's... No, uh, I think that's fair. And I, and I think my when... There's, I think, and you know this, I think there's a bunch of different ways when you can, and and Rice has not been to that same, you know, maybe place, but they've been in the place when you're in the dumps and you've been bad for a long time, you can go a hundred different ways and roll the dice so many times on a head coach. And I'm not saying that I think Mac is going to turn things around and they're going to be a bowl team, maybe even the, in the next three seasons, like it's a big hole at FIU, what he has to work on, but uh, you need somebody who can put it, the pieces together in a way that can, you know, get them going in the right direction. Cause I just don't think they've had momentum since Cristobal, maybe to some degree. But uh, I, I think that that'd be a clarifying comment. I don't think this is like, man, they're so good. I think they're going to surprise and finish in the top half of the conference. No, I, I don't think they're, they're a long ways away, but did they get somebody who, who might be able to get them there? Like, I'm optimistic on that that front. Is that fair? I, I think that's fair. And I'll try to Maybe. make this answer a little more succinct. I think that's fair. The reason I do think it's fair, and you know, I spoke with athletic director Scott Carr after the first day of practice. Even though FIU fans initially wanted some different names, names that were local to FIU, had a you know, more, more local flavor, there is a benefit in someone who's done it before. So as you mentioned, the fundraising. Mac has done it. He understands the undertaking that 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 goes into that. He's taken over a roster that had, you know, APR issues and you know, was down players and scholarships. So I do think there's a benefit to that. And quite frankly, you know, while sure, my previous statement did try to provide a little bit of, um, you know, pause. I do think just talent wise, Matt. In two years, they'll be back in a bowl game, if not next year. OK, 
All right. And then my last one, because we've hit a couple, uh, want to segue up to the other end of the conference, uh, another new head coach. You would be Brian Vincent. The entire time that we were sitting in that room, kind of asking him questions, he said all the right things, but I kind of just got this, I'm still shocked I'm here vibe <laughs> from him when he was uh, answering his questions. And I think it's going to be really interesting. And this is kind of my, you have the just general apprehension and maybe just uncertainty when Bill Clark, you know, stepped down out of nowhere in, I guess, what was that, mid-July, something like that. So, and then you bring in the interim guy who's already there and just kind of plug the holes for the season. I think there was some, I was probably one of the media who was weighing UAB to win the conference. And then without Bill Clark, I defaulted to UTSA. And I guess there was some, and I think we talked about this maybe, about what the future looks like for UAB. I think, I'm not going to say I left less, less hopeful in the Blazers' chances than when I arrived, but I don't think there was anything that, you know, either from talking, you know, the the players outside of the room or or Vincent at the podium, I don't think I came away with anything that was particularly galvanizing that made me feel that I, maybe I just wanted to be reassured that UAB was going to be fine. And there was nothing was said that that made me uh, more more hesitant, but I guess I was kind of like was was maybe expecting maybe a little bit more rah rah after Bill Clark's you know workman like <laughs> straight face. Is that fair? What were you kind of your general thoughts on 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 Co- Coach Vincent and UAB and uh, how he kind of presented himself? I'll try to paint a picture for the audience here. And I thought I said this to you in the moment, but if I didn't, you know, uh, you'll get it here. I won't say exactly what I said to others. I'll, I'll clean it up. But Brian Vincent had a perpetual look on his face of like, do not F this up. That was the look. Yes, he had. yes. That, he, that's exactly what it looked he, like. He, he had a look on his face like he walked over to the bathrooms, the restrooms, which are, you know, down that far, far, far hallway to the left. And every time he went in there, he was looking himself in the mirror. And was pointing at himself and like, you're the man. You got this. You got this. And I'm I, I'm not trying to like shade Coach Vincent, but you noted it. So it clearly was apparent to more than just me. That's not to say that UAB can't come out and contend. And he very, very may well lead UAB to another conference title. But it has to be overwhelming, right? You know, when you think you're going to be the offensive coordinator and Brian Vincent is someone who the offenses have had. Varying levels, varying levels, excuse me, of success, but overall, they've been successful during his time at UAB. And then all of a sudden, you're the head coach, and who knows, you know, those on the outside don't know how much prior notice he may have had, but it just feels as if he kind of just has this look on his face. It's like, all I got to do is keep this train on the road, and then I can end up with a really great job with a premier group of five school that has great facilities and is moving to the American. And, and of course, you know, you can't take it, you can't view it in totality. It's got to be day by day, but no, I, I, I don't think you are being, um, I don't think you're incorrect in that feeling. Cause I, that's the look at, it seemed to, he seemed to have, I even, I even mentioned that to Evan Dudley, you know, UAB's beat writer 
for AL.com. And, and, you know, he said that, you know, he, he didn't necessarily see it the same way we did. But, yeah, uh, I, there's got to be a lot of pressure when you've got the type of talent you have and, you know, Dwayne McBride and others and just keeping the ship on 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 course and, and getting it there. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out. But uh, and I'll pass back to you on this. I'm really intrigued to see how and or if that offense shifts um, with him being the head coach. You know, you look at UAB's offense. It's been a very boomer bust passing game. Consistently with Brian Vincent, they go downfield. Trey Shopshire and others uh, have led CUSA, and in Shopshire's case, led the nation in yards per catch. Uh, does the passing game get a little more balanced, uh, or is it still, you know, hey, we're going to ride Dwayne McBride and, and Jermaine Brown Jr. and then just take our shots downfield? We'll see, but no, I, I don't think you're off in your assessment. Okay, okay, that seems fair. Well, I mean, we'll see. We're, we're three weeks out. I guess Conference USA football starts in week zero this year with a, a couple conference games. So we will find out sooner or later. Uh, that was kind of, I guess that's kind of our our wrap-up of media days, kind of our our general impressions. And Carter and I were chatting before we came on, and we're throwing this at you completely. Well, I guess it's it, it was scripted, but, but you are being thrown in blind <laughs> because it's more fun that way. Uh, but we're going to play a game. How does that sound, Eric? Let's do it. All right. So the the basic premise, and I'm seating all judge uh, arbitration arbitration authority over to Carter, who will run this. Uh, but the Finally, basic my, premise, my law degree comes in handy. Yeah, this is this is true. This we got to stay for. on brand. Um. So two statements, Eric. Uh, Carter, or well, well, one statement rather. Uh, Carter's going to read it, and then he's going to assign us to argue for or against whatever it is all conference usa related so we got to be on our toes okay sounds good let's do it all right so i think what i want to do here is i will throw out this first one and then ask if anyone has strong feelings for or against and if one whichever one of you claims aside first we'll go with that and then we'll alternate for the remaining few so Statement number one is UTSA will repeat as conference champs. So anybody got strong feelings on for or against here? Strong feelings for. Okay. So Eric will be for here. Matt, you'll be against. And then we'll swap for two and so on. Uh, I think we'll give the the floor to four first. So Eric, uh, make your case. Frank Harris, Rashad Wisdom. I I feel like I could just leave it at that. But listen, (laughs) I I think... Frank Harris is, I don't think Frank Harris gets enough respect. I think Frank Harris, you view him in the Conference USA quarterback, you know, like Prism, because what Bailey Zappi did last year, and you think, okay, um, he's like the second best guy. But you look at his numbers all the way through, and sure, okay, if you compare him to the dude who set NCAA records, it might pale, but it's a different style of quarterbacking, but I still think Frank Harris, for my money, top three or four quarterback amongst G5 teams. Rashad Wisdom does not get enough love. I didn't realize he's as big as he is. I thought he he might have been one of those safeties whose size is a little larger than he is, but naturally he's 5'10". He's a legit six foot, you know, solid, solid guy in 200 pounds. Love everything they have. That offensive line is far and away the best in Conference USA. Uh, huge fan of Trillion Smith. You get back uh, Trevor Harmonson and others. So, yeah, I four. And I don't think it's close, to be honest. Okay, I think the case for against... And, and Carter's going to rule on this, so you got to make a good argument, okay, Eric? <laughs> but the case against, 
I thought was actually it's a lot simpler than I thought it would be. And like I said, I picked UTSA to win to win the conference. But the case against is they ran out of gas last year. Like it was it was rough sledding into the end of the season. They they barely beat Southern Miss, who was not a good football team. They beat UAB by a field goal. They got run out of the gym against North Texas in a game where they should have clinched an undefeated season or an undefeated regular season. That should have happened. They didn't. They beat Western Kentucky. Uh, they, they beat them, but it was close, and it very easily, like, we both watched that game. You could have envisioned like, that game ending a different way, and then they just they didn't, they didn't look very good against San Diego State in their bowl game. And I think UTSA, from a talent perspective, is really good. But we've seen enough of UAB where we know day in and day out by the end of the season, they're a program that's going to have nine or ten wins and be around for the conference championship game. UTSA is not very far removed from never going to or never. They still haven't won a bowl game in, in program history. I believe that's correct. Yeah. So they, they're just they're not the bully yet that everybody just is giving them the mantle of. And I think they're going to be a good football team. But it's one thing to have everything go right on a good year where your entire defense is redshirt seniors. It's another thing to have to rebuild and still get all that luck. And I don't think they get it. Somebody else, ten, one of the 10 other teams wins the conference. Do I get a, a one-sentence uh, retort, Carter? Sure. Give me the coach who walks around with the swagger like he owns the state of Texas as opposed to the guy who looks like he might be scared of his own shadow right now. Ooh. Okay, I don't like that retort. <laughs> <laughs> like, if, if – oh, I'm stuck here because if Bill Clark were still at UAB, I think uh, – I don't know. As a sort of mathematically inclined person, I'm, t- I'm 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 tempted to just sort of give it to the odds and pick the field, especially given, um, you know, we talked with with Jared when he was on here to talk to you at CSA, and I'm maybe I'm just swayed by his inherent pessimism, and uh, the you know all they've lost like up the middle of the defense and the fact that they've won so many close games over the years. So the 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 analytically inclined portion of me uh, really wants to to. Uh, give it to the against here, but without the certainty of the 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 coaching uncertainty with UAB, I think I'm gonna go with the four here as a round one to Eric. All right, it's a close. Arguing against UTSA is not easy. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, no, 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 no. You made a good case. Uh, okay, so. Number two, and we will switch here. Uh, Matt, I'm sorry to put another hard one on you, but the four cases here is Louisiana Tech gets back to a bowl game this season. (laughs) I put Louisiana Tech 10th in my preseason poll. (laughs) See, that's the beauty here. uh, Everybody, uh, you've got to be able to make it either way. Okay. So here's the case for Louisiana Tech. The case is they've been to a bowl game for seven straight seasons before last year. And we've seen other teams, especially at the G5 level, when they lose their head coach, 
Like, look at Louisiana when B- Billy Napier left. Their roster was gutted. They have, there is nobody left for the the new guy to kind of put pieces together. Uh, that didn't Extremely well-timed for Rice. Yeah, I know. I'm very happy about that <laughs> as someone who <laughs> we not playing against, you know, that, you know, top 20 Cajun team. But yeah, so I think that's different because Louisiana Tech did have some attrition, like they lost some guys. But I think for the most part, they kept a really good core. Like I think the talent at Louisiana Tech is better than a team at the bottom of the conference. It's just going to come down to how quickly can they assimilate really the offense. That's going to be the key thing. And it's the air raid. And I'm not going to like say the air raid is, I'm not going to try and oversimplify it and say, you can just throw people together and score points. But if there's an offense where you can just throw people together and score points, it's the air raid. <laughs> and they have smoke Harris. They have Tra- uh, Trey Harris. They have uh, uh, Griffin, a bear Devonte Lee coming in from LSU. Like, I think that, they could be good enough where they can just score some points and make games interesting. And they have Tyler Grubbs on defense who, aside to, to Mr. Wisdom at UTSA, he might be the be the best defensive player in the conference. Uh, or at least he, he maybe not proven, pretty close, but he might be there by the end of the season. So I think the pieces are there. And then if you look at the schedule, their two of their non-conference games are against SFA and South Alabama. And those are both winnable football games. So then you're talking about, you need to go 500 in conference USA, which includes games against teams that have not gone bowling in a while. uh, Like rice FIU. uh, Those are two like you got Charlotte is at a break. Like who knows about UTEP? Like there's just so much uncertainty in the middle that, I don't think six wins for Louisiana Tech is totally insane. And that's my pitch. (laughs) Here's my pitch against. And I was ready to just come out of the gates firing. But then you got to remember, and I'm not going to sit here and make Matt's case. You got to remember that while they went three and nine last year, I think something like four of their losses were by less than a touchdown. And that was given all of the, you know, uh, the transition they had in offense and whatnot. But in my mind, I'm going to use Matt's case and his own case against him talking about the air raid. That can go really well if you have a guy who you can plug and play. And we know that Sonny Cumbie's brought in some guys. He brought in a kid from Texas Tech, you know, um, Matthew Downing. I know came in from uh, TCU. They've got a, a few other quarterbacks in there. But it can be really bad if things aren't clicking. And in my mind, that's an offense, especially given what Tech has in terms of the, the personnel they're trying to implement. It's going to take them one year to get things going. And then when you look at the schedule, okay, SFA, South Alabama, Rice, FIU. Those are your four games I think are winnable. Everything else, just on a sure talent perspective. You don't have more talent than UAB. You don't have more talent than UTSA. You don't have more talent than Middle. You don't have more talent than Charlotte, and you've got to go out on the road for that game. Rice, all Rice is going to do is just run the ball down your throat, and Louisiana Tech, I think, was something like 10th or 11th last year in CUSA and rushing defense. We know where that's going to happen. UTEP, they're not winning that game. Clemson or Missouri. So they'll come close, but they again remind me of like a FIU and that maybe they'll hit their stride a little bit later on in the year and play teams tough, but uh, I'm setting the over-under at four with them. I don't think there's any way they're reaching a bowl game this year. Carter, was there any way I was going to win this argument? 
Um, you know, you did well. And I was, uh, you know, when Eric started to make the case for you, I was like, you know, we got the variants here. Like they, they you know, they could have come back. And then I, I did just look at the schedule right as, as he was going through it. And uh, yeah, Clemson and Missouri being on there. Um, there are there are not not a whole lot of winnable games on this schedule. So I, I think we uh, I think we are inclined to give it to uh, the against here. So, uh, uh, un- unfortunately, oh, the, yeah, the swapping, uh, really put you, put you in the hole there. I will, I will say that you did write these prompts. So, uh, you, <laughs> that's you know, true, you but may, I didn't know who was going to have to argue. <laughs> you may have dug the hole for yourself. All right. Uh, so far, uh, two to nothing for Eric here. Uh, and he now gets to argue for someone other than Western Kentucky finishes with the best record in the quote unquote East. Okay, no, I think I can do that. That's not an issue. Uh, Florida Atlantic, you look at Willie Taggart, very sneakily. you got to remember, Nikosi Perry was a four-star quarterback coming out of high school and a guy who had some success at Miami. The big thing with him was maturity issues. I mean, I, I feel like I, I may have a little bit of an advantage arguing this being so close to the situation, but Nikosi's really been matured this year. You know, someone who has a young daughter, and that's really done a a wonder on him as far as maturity. I think the second year in this offense is going to be great. I think when you take a look at, when you add veterans like Chad Lunsford and, you know, Todd Orlando and and some of the guys who they've added in terms of that coaching staff, and and Brent Dearman as well. I think when you look at what Brent Dearman was able to do with that middle Tennessee offense last year, getting them to a bowl game, you don't think he's going to be able to do that at FAU with guys like Johnny Ford. Lejante Wester, um, some of the the power five talent they've been able to transfer on the offensive line. Defensively, I don't care what anybody says. I am a huge fan of two names on that defense, and they do not get enough love because that defense, for some reason or another, guys, they don't rack up a ton of counting stats, and I think it hurts them. But TJ Young, he's one of the top two or three defensive backs in Conference USA. Go look at the pro football focus numbers. Easily rated as one of the top DBs in the league. And then Evan Anderson, as Willie Tiger called him, Big Slim, a guy who came into football at 6'4", 380, and was being a, a stereotypical 3'4", nose tackle. And now you, you get a chance to have him come in at 315. He is a massive defensive tackle, eats up space. That's why FAU has been fairly solid against the run, and I don't see that increasing. Jalen Joyner is one of the better pass rushers in Conference USA. So in my mind, that's a pretty easy case that if you don't want to take Western, just look at the talent that FAU has and you can see and you look at their schedule. I can easily see make the case for them that, you know, it'll be neck and neck anyhow. Okay, so I get to make the case for the defending East champs to be the best team in the quote East again. That feels easier than Louisiana Tech. So let's start there. Uh, first, uh, in Willie Taggart's press conference, when I asked him, I said, so what happened at the end of last season where y'all were going to a, on track for a bowl game and they just fizzled? Uh, his response to that question involved the word babysitting and saying, well, what's going to change? He said, I don't have to babysit as much anymore. And well, I was like, well, that's kind of concerning that you're still babysitting players on your team in, in year two. And I don't I don't think he quite meant it quite like that, but he did say it. So mm-hmm. and then Taggart, you're laughing. Taggart hasn't done it at FIU. 
uh, granted, it, he's had the deck stats stacked against him. There was the 2020 season, which wasn't really fair to anybody. And then last year, like things just didn't go the right way. I understand. But you're talking about a coach who was on the hot seat and is on the hot seat going into this coming season, who his last couple stops like FSU and now and now FAU just hasn't put it together to the expectations we have. So that's FAU. I'll go to Western Kentucky. I think the case for Western repeating is is really easy. Uh, one, you watch what Bailey Zappi and Zach Kittley did last year, and we've already talked about how we kind of are in on Tyson Helton as a head coach. Uh, they brought in Jared Deggie, who leads all of D1 football active players in passing yardage, which, like you said, counting stats, that happens if you play for a couple years. Uh, but he put up good yards. And then Austin Reed transferred from your neck of the woods at West Florida I think he's probably a top six or seven quarterback in Conference USA, and he's the backup. So I don't know who's going to do it. They're going to find somebody that can pull the trigger. And then Daywood Davis, Malachi Corley, both coming back from last year. Uh, they brought in Jalen Hall from Western Michigan, Michael Matheson from Akron. They just, they're going to find somebody in this offense to score points. And I refuse to believe the defense can be as bad as it was last year. <laughs> Like all we need is like to go from like 13th best to 10th. And this is a team who has more functional success than FAU, no matter how talented they are. So I'm leaning with the guys who have been there and done that. All right, Carter, again, feel free to tell me no. Can I get a one sentence retort? One sentence. Matt, you said they're the defending East champs. The defending East champs are in the power five. Mitch Tinsley, Mason Brooks. Beanie Bishop, Noah Whittington, and any other offensive lineman. That's the defending uh, East champ. That was two sentences. <laughs> yeah, you're breaking your rules. My my retort. <laughs> you ready? Fine, fine. One one extra rebuttal. <laughs> one extra rebuttal. I'm I'm extending this. Uh, my retort is uh is is really really simple. Um, Florida Atlantic. Uh. Let's see, make sure I get this right. Uh, Florida Atlantic uh, had four weeks to win one game <laughs> with superior talent in at least two of those games and got blown out. It's true. Done. It's very true. All right. As I start my judgment here, I just want to say that I had a brief sort of out-of-body experience where Matt started talking about Willie Taggart, and I was like, Wait, is he back at Western Kentucky? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! I just, I, I, he's, he's, it's one of those guys that I, I will never like. Whenever I hear his name, no matter where he is, I will always immediately think of Western Kentucky. Um, yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I am inclined to side with the Hilltoppers here. Uh, it's not just because I'm afraid of Big Red. But I am <laughs> afraid of Big Red. Um, yeah, I just don't know that that I... I don't know. Until I really see one of Taggart's teams, like... Actually finish. Like, it, yeah, I don't know. It feels like there's always... The, the results never quite match up with, with how we hope they might. And um, 
Yeah, I don't know. This one's got me caught in the middle, but I think I'm going. I think I'm going. I think I'm going Hilltoppers here. So Matt, Matt grabs a point. Getting back. I, I I can't be mad at that. You made a good case. I should have laid out the uh, the transfers in my uh, in my opening. So can't be mad at that. All right, we are swapping again. So arguing four here is Matt for a CUSA running back wins offensive player of the year. Uh, for context, the preseason choice for this award was Frank Harris. Okay. So Matt, Matt, you are arguing that a running back will win the award. Right. Not, and I think it's interesting because it's this is the quarterback award, right? Like every year, it's a quarterback award for offensive player of the year, and just about every concept, uh, conference. Excuse me, uh, but it's it wasn't last year because this is really easy. Yeah, you guys remember who won offensive player of the year last year in Conference USA? It was Sincere McCormick, the running back at UTSA. And yes, Sincere McCormick is no longer there, which is a bummer, but. UTSA went out and added Traylon Smith running back from Arkansas. And, you know, we watched Rice in Arkansas play last year and Traylon Smith looked really good. He's a power five talent and he's just not some guy that, you know, touched the ball twice and ran for four yards and said, I'm not playing. I'm going to transfer. This is a guy who's ran for 500 yards, six touchdowns plus the last two seasons. He's a really talented running back. And, if we still believe that UTSA is a team who's going to be the favorite to win the conference, it's going to be Frank Harris or Traylon Smith. And I, I'm not going to say Frank Harris is not a good quarterback. I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think I've seen anything from Frank Harris that makes me believe he's, you know, Bailey's happy special. And if UTSA rides all the way riding their running game, which I think they're probably going to do again, uh, Traylon Smith is one that I really, really like. And I think that if it's not, if it's not, if there are no, my catch all would be if we don't have any quarterbacks in Conference USA that we think are truly elite, this is a conference that has stock full of wide receivers. We, I talked about one running back. There are so many guys, and there aren't any. Okay, so I'm going to try to be pretty quick here. When you look at the award, and you know Matt made a point that not only did Sincere McCormick win it last year, he won it two straight years, but he had to have over 1,400, nearly 1,500 yards in both the seasons that he won it. Then you take a look at the quarterback quarterbacks who've won it, and yeah, you got some guys there throwing for high 3,000s, you know, low 4,000s in yards. And I don't think that's out of the equation for Jared Dagey. In fact, I think Jared Dagey likely will throw for 4,500 yards in his sleep when you take a look at his history. But even if it's not Dagey, guys, I think just on the sentimental, hey, we want to acknowledge this player's success, Frank Harris, if Frank Harris throws for 3,000 yards and rushes for, say, 500, which is not out of the equation for Frank Harris. I think he had over 600 yards. Yeah, or yeah, he had 560 something yards rushing last year and 500 something yards rushing the year prior. I think that alone as a dual threat is enough to get him the offensive player of the year award. So when you're looking at the running backs, it would have to be the ones to get to, to really challenge. You say Trellion Smith, 
I'm going to say Dwayne McBride, but even you look at UAB's running game during their peak years, it's been right around top 12, high 1200s, low 1300 yards. I just don't think that's enough, especially if they don't win the league. And if I have UTSA win the league, which means I think Frank Harris will be the overwhelming, overwhelming sentimental choice. And if not, that's fine. Jared Dagey will throw for 4,500 yards and 40-something touchdowns and win the award anyhow. Okay, so this one is tricky because for context, let's remember that CUSA gives both an MVP and an Offensive Player of the Year. So you're arguing sort of a, uh, like, who is going to be the second best offensive player in the conference? Because obviously an offensive player is also going to win uh, MVP. Um, And uh, uh, my brief scanning down the sports reference page on this does not suggest that a defensive player has won at any time recently. Um, So... Actually, okay. Do we want to? Do we want to? Are are, are we looking at this? I from want the you lens? to pick whichever one gets me the win. <laughs> <laughs> Were you each arguing from the perspective of this will be the best <laughs> offensive player in the conference, or I the think second that's what best? We're doing. Okay, so so let's let's make it the MVP then. Um, in which case, this is actually not as quite as quarterback heavy on an award as you might normally think. Um, ooh, let's see. Yeah. While you, I, while you mole, my, my, my quick tidbit was uh, if there are no great quarterbacks, you're going to have a great running back. Happens every year in this league. Yeah. So, uh, you know what? I think I'm going to to weigh in on my own judgment here and, uh, Matt, say that you were hoisted by your own petard from last time. And my personal pick will be Daigie. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to give this to Eric on the, the logic that it will be a quarterback's award. Dex slanted against me again. You were too <laughs> convincing last time. That's okay, fair. but... No, but but here here you go because number five, Eric has to argue for North Texas can reach the CUSA title game. Oh gosh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was more somber than me arguing Tech would make a bowl. Yeah. Woo. All right. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. Wow, this is tough. Um, listen, the the bulk of my argument is going to be the fact that they're they're getting Oscar Attaway back, and that gives them three running backs who they can really ride. And again, very sneakily, that was a really good rushing team. I mean, not just amongst the CUSA ranks, but amongst all of college football. So when you have, you know, five back, four backs that you can easily get 500 yards out of, in my mind, I don't think they're going to have necessarily the, the, you know, spreading out of the run game per se, but I think you're going to have two backs that rush for a thousand yards. And in my mind, that's definitely enough to play ball control and the reason I side so heavy is because, listen, while that defense is making strides, it's still a defense that allowed 27 points per game last year. And that's, you know what, middle of the road. While granted, it ain't 43 points a game that I think they allowed in 2020. That's a positive. 
Um, but they're really going to really lean on that run game. And last but not least, I will say this. Um, in kind of defeating my own point, I do not think they can do it if they start Austin Ani. I think Austin Ani is a nice – if you're starting Austin Ani, you're, you're basically conceding that our, our, our ceiling is seven wins. You got to get one of those, whether it's Jace Reuter or Grant Gannell, it's got to be one of those guys who comes in there and wins that job and then can unlock their ceiling to potentially, uh, you know, be more than that. No, no more big bean runs to bail them out. <sighs> okay. Well, I think, I think I can knock this out pretty quick. Uh, my argument is Seth Luttrell in North Texas have not finished above 500 since they lost Mason Fine in 2018. And this is a coach that we were all pretty sure was going to get fired midway through the season last year and miraculously saved his job. But that's not usually a recipe for going to the conference championship game or just competing for it in the subsequent season. No way. Yeah, um, I applaud the captain for going down with his ship, but uh, that's. Uh... Matt, how are you expecting uh, that? <laughs> that one was a cruel joke on whoever ended up with uh, the four. Hey, I argued Louisiana Tech to make a bowl. I think that was just as challenging. I, I think <laughs> I think my 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 twist that I would have thrown out was uh, it's Conference USA. So who knows? Uh, and then B, I think the talent is on the roster. Like they recruit really well. They have playmakers. If they find a quarterback, I agree, not Austin Ani. This can be what North Texas has been. I think that's what they've been missing is a guy who can do it. And I think they've gotten creative with the running game and kind of been good enough without it. But if they can find that guy and they have, I believe, six scholarship quarterbacks in that room, the most in Conference USA. Like, if they find somebody, shoot, it's Conference USA. Th things get weird. Like, Frank Harris, God forbid, gets hurt. What happens? <laughs> yeah, I guess the, the ultimate answer to all of these seemingly <laughs> unlikely ones is, it's Conference USA shrug emoji. Yes, shrug emoji is the entire argument. <laughs> all right, so going into uh, number six here, we really should have had a seventh to uh, to uh, make sure we, you, you know, we don't You can invent a seventh on the fly if, if I can tie it up. Oh, dear. Uh, well, yeah. So we it's uh, it's three to two in favor of Eric right now. So uh, the last one, Matt, you will be arguing for CUSA earns another Power 5 upset. And so some notable... Uh, versus Power 5 games here are Western Kentucky at Auburn. Um, Matt, if you can make a good case for that one happening, you might get an automatic win here, just, uh, you know, personal preferences. Oh, I got a good case for that one. <laughs> exactly. I want, I, I want to hear every detail of this, but uh, FAU at Purdue, Maryland at Charlotte, UAB at LSU, Louisiana Tech at Missouri, and UTSA at Texas. All right, so first, UTSA is going to beat Texas. Mike, I can't believe you didn't put Rice versus USC on this list. What kind Rice of... Rice USC is on the list. Okay, so there's a couple interesting things. If you go back and look, Conference USA has actually been sneaky good at Power 5 upsets. Uh, they've had at least one 
like the past several years. Last year, you had UTSA beating Illinois. You had Charlotte beating Duke. And in general, all you need is a moderately competent to good COSA team playing a bad P5 team in general. And I think you got a couple instances where that happens this year. I think Maryland at Charlotte is interesting because Charlotte has literally been there and done that. They get to host the Terps at home. And the, the, the reason they won that game is because they had Chris Reynolds uh, and DuBose and Victor Tucker. And those guys are all back. So do it again. Like, I don't think Maryland is going to be that much better than Duke was last year. So I think that's a really interesting candidate. And then I want to make the case uh, for Western Kentucky at Auburn. Uh, who is on a hotter seat right now than Brian Harson at Auburn? Like, what are the odds he makes it through the season? Like 10%, maybe like, like that guy is, is going uphill. Like, and when does Western Kentucky play Auburn? They played on November 19th, right before the so end of the season. So con Saturday. Yeah. Uh, who does Auburn play the next week? <laughs> Would that be the iron bowl? If you could put subtitles on this podcast, the, the <laughs> one for me would just be sadistic chuckling right now. Yeah, yeah. So you're telling me that Auburn, who has probably fired their head coach because their team is a mess, playing a Western Kentucky team where we've just talked about how good we think their offense is going to be and how good we think Tyson Helton is doing and how they're going to score in a look-ahead game where they have to play their arch-rivals Alabama and are somehow, some way going to get up to that game and keep it close because it's the Iron Bowl and things get weird. Like, I'm sorry, but that's a game that, like, it's going to come in with Auburn being favored by, like, 25 points, and that game is going to be a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Like, period. <laughs> and weird things happen when CUSA teams play bad SEC, like, Arkansas and North Texas. Like, come on. Like, we could be seeing at CUSA over SEC 2.0, and that wasn't that long ago. Yes, I'm not going to lie. This is a tough one because I, I actually do think there will be a couple of uh, upsets this year. But in my mind, as much as Matt made his own case, I think it's kind of the case for why there won't be. If you're a Power 5 school, given the shape of this league and the direction this league is going in with – a lot of these teams going to, you know, the revamp version, the American, which you can almost say is just, you know, CUSA 2.0. Yes, it's a parting shot at you guys as you leave, but I digress. Um, I don't think, <laughs> especially considering some of the teams you look at who are, are playing Conference USA opponents, I don't think any of them can afford to lose that game just because of the circumstances I think it'll put some of those programs. And you talk about uh, Purdue. I think Purdue's a really strong team. You know, you, you made a great point, a great case with Brian Harson. Uh, I wonder if that team rallies around him, and especially, again, to, to lose to a Conference USA team right before the Iron Bowl. That would mean that that team has either totally gone in the tank and has quit. If not, I think that's a game they win. Uh, same thing with Texas. And listen, I'm by no means am I a, a, a Texas Longhorn football fan, but I, I just think that would be, in my mind, if Texas loses to Jeff Trailer and UTSA, um, then you're talking about you know a Texas high school legend getting that notch in his belt. That would be huge for them. So uh, I'm essentially making Matt's argument against, but I just don't think that any of these teams can really afford to lose to a Conference USA team. Yeah, I unfortunately must say that the, the problem with Auburn, uh, the problem as someone who roots against Auburn, is that 
Uh, in a game like this, they almost always fail to cover and look just as terrible and embarrassing as possible. <laughs> but they almost I do not recall them having lost one of these games. Um, hey, one quick one quick one quick interjection before you make your ruling. <laughs> uh, as much as I'm 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 railing on Auburn for being bad, which is really easy, and I am playing to my audience here. One, yeah, uh, but two, only one of these teams has to do it, and you have six or seven teams that <laughs> right. are going to have yeah. at least a ten percent chance. Just saying, math. Yeah, uh, like Maryland at Charlotte, because Maryland could very easily either score ten points or Talia could throw for seven touchdowns in that game. It's going to be one or the other, nowhere in the middle. Um, UAB, I just don't trust in these situations because they don't run the kind of offense that lends itself to being successful against teams with far superior talent. Um, Louisiana Tech's not doing this next. Um, and it's... <laughs> And I, I, Eric, honestly, you made the emotional case to what, like, think of how much we would all enjoy it if Texas lost to UTSA. Like, it's it's Glorious. too good, right? Um, honestly, I think my most likely pick here is FAU at Purdue. Um, but, whew. My head says go with Matt here. My heart says I don't want to make up another one, so go with Eric. Um, okay. I think I have to go Matt here. So uh, yes. it's three to three. Our tiebreaker will be, and let's make this, uh, let's, you know, let's, let's really get at the raison d'etre of this podcast. Um, Eric, make the case for... For Rice starting the same quarterback the whole season. <laughs> Ab- okay, 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 okay. Let's let's say presume that whoever starts day one does not get hurt. Does he start the whole season? Okay. Um. So I feel. I almost feel like it's it, it's it's two different arguments here, right? But this is. Uh, based on your first reading of the question, Carter, this is what I'm going to say for. And yes, this is assuming that no one gets hurt. If Mike Bloomgren goes through another season shuffling quarterbacks, he may as well just start looking for homes on the West Coast and offense coordinator jobs now. I don't see any way in which he can. This will be what season four or five. My memory is blanking right now that he has seemingly not been able to figure out the quarterback situation and or develop hell. I can look at FIU last year. They started Max Bortenschlager all the way through. They found a primary. I, I almost think, I mean, I'm, I'm getting a little you know, emotional here on the Rice podcast about their inability to, to start a quarterback all the way through. You look at the entirety of college football and the amount of teams that have been able to have a primary. Again, we're removing the fact of removing the injury aspect of it. A primary starter. Via the transfer portal. And the fact that Mike Bloomgren hasn't been able to do that, I, I in my mind, I mean, I'm generally curious here, guys. Can that be forgivable if he does that again this year? Were they shuffling? Even if it's just, I, in my mind, again, uh, you know, I think you can, you can forgive maybe a, a bad performance here or there. But if you are switching quarterbacks, 
based off of one bad performance, that in my mind means that you have again failed to do the one thing you should be able to do as an offensive-minded head coach. Let's identify a starting quarterback who can start the entire season. You making the case for? Oh, I, I, I thought I was making four. <laughs> or, 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 or against. Wait, hold on. What case am I making? I think you just made the case against. I guess I can make the case for. I, well, no, no, I, well, that was my case for Rice needing to start a quarterback, the same quarterback the entire year. Yeah, you, you, you basically made the case in the negative. That uh, they're going to start only one quarterback because they can't afford not to. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, that's well, that... yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's it. I was with you. All right. Okay. So... All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. I got a really good case for um, case against why I think they're going to start to. Okay. Here's the case. So uh, TJ McMahon, who, you know, was the hero in the Louisiana Tech game and brought Rice back from behind and is kind of the guy that I think, and I've, I've said on this podcast and uh, on, on, on my site that I think he has the most upside, the widest range of outcomes. Uh, here's my case. And I think it, I'm going to catch this, not something crazy for Rice. Uh, so first off, uh, I'm going to read you a quick list. Uh, Mike Collins, Tom Stewart, Jake Constantine, Sean Stankavage, Luke McCaffrey, Wiley Green. Those are all quarterbacks that have started games for Rice in the past four seasons. What do they all have in common? Every single one of them lost their job because of injury. So, and you can fact check me on that. It happens. So that, yeah, that lines up. Yeah. So several of those guys came back at the end of the season and took the job over from whoever was being the placeholder. But as, as much as we can be upset and frustrated with Mike Bloomberg for not, you know, quote unquote, picking a quarterback. Uh, he's been dealt a really bad hand because I just read off a list of six guys who got hurt and he had to go to plan B. Uh, he's lost multiple starting quarterbacks in a season back to back years now. So assuming that injury and that doesn't happen, how does that happen where Rice plays two guys? I think the only scenario I see is that Wiley Green was named a team captain last year, despite having to battle in fall camp to win the job. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, uh, getting getting he he got benched after the Arkansas game and was replaced. Uh, so that is a benching. Uh, but the lead up that was Luke McCaffrey and everything going on. But he had the UAB game and Mike Bloomgren still talks about the UAB game and Wiley Green as that renaissance man where everything went right. And they talk about him having as a Ph.D. in the offense. If he was a team captain last year. I wouldn't be shocked if he's a team captain this year. How many team captains are backup quarterbacks? I don't know, but it wouldn't shock me that Wiley Green takes the first snap of the season against USC because he's been the guy for four years and he's kind of quote unquote earned it. But I think at, like I think we're going to get to the point where once you get to conference play, and especially if heaven forbid you go one and three in non-conference and you don't go two and two, I think you got to go to TJ. And so I think that's the case of how Rice plays two quarterbacks. I'm praying this doesn't happen, but I think that's what happens is you go with Wiley as the guy who's been there and, you know, in his moment, he can find lightning in a bottle again and he doesn't. And then you, you do what you have to do. You pull the plug and you put in the young guy and see what happens. I think that's, that's the story. Yeah. If, if I hadn't previously ruled out injuries, then my answer 
to this would be I will believe Rice plays one quarterback when I see it. But uh, yeah, I, I'm assuming they both stay healthy. Uh, yeah, maybe my maybe my heart just wants too badly for this to happen and for Rice to you know actually have a stable situation at quarterback. But I, I, you know, we'll be gracious hosts here and, and give the victory to Eric. So uh, by a by a score to <laughs> score four to three, you have you have won our contest. I was a little nervous that I was going to lose, you know, come the comeback from three one down. But you know, I, I will take the uh, <laughs> I, I will take the the pity victory. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> as a, as a South Florida resident, we don't care how we get our victories. All all cares that we get them. Then we only show up when we get our victories. As a matter of fact being bad sports now but i digress thank you very much uh your victories you get to to plug uh, what you're working on and uh, what else you got going on as we get to the season <laughs> no i'll jump to zach fellas always a pleasure coming on with you guys i really appreciate it you know how much i uh, enjoy the ruse pod what we're working on wow um a lot of content coming out of conference usa media days so you know i've got a feature with dana dimmel coming up in, in a little bit uh, actually going to publish tomorrow is the start of my top 35 players in Conference USA. Um, it's something that I, I want to work on for the past two years. Did top 50 in 2019, but, you know, I didn't obviously with media days being virtual the past two years, I didn't get a chance to have as much access to head coaches as I, as I would have liked. So really appreciate all the head coaches and assistant coaches who talked about this list. So that'll start dropping uh, tomorrow and uh, tomorrow they're taping on uh, August 3rd. So that'll start dropping out on the 4th and it'll drop every week until the start of the season. So keep an eye out for uh, your favorite player and feel free to debate and, you know, leave all the comments my way. And last but not least, Conference USA Sunbelt American coverage at underdogdynasty.com and my FIU coverage as well. Underdogdynasty.com, Eric C. Henry underscore on Twitter. Well, I'm excited. Y'all do a great job. I'll be reading your stuff. And uh, we went a little bit long, but I think we had fun. And uh, now I'm thinking that this is going to have to become a uh, a repeat segment of some kind in some fashion. We, uh, well, yeah, when we come back to uh, to talk the new iteration of CSA to see, see how things are, how the other half lives. CUSA <laughs> versus AAC. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We're uh, we're excited to really get into spring or sorry, fall practice now as uh, it's 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 August, y'all. But yeah, uh, thanks for coming on, Eric. And uh, we'll see y'all all next time. And Rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.